Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what's the, uh, what's the subject of your podcast? Um... I don't know. You can read it as well as I can, I think. It says, Earthling, a debug subset of wild English designed for clear thinking and accurate communication. If you think in English, you're confused. Uh, so, this is, you're the host for it? I am indeed. Hold on. I'm okay. Gonna, I'm going to turn the speakers off and put on my headset. Hold on just a second. Did I say I was away from this for a Okay, now I can hear you, and you probably are not getting any more feedback. So. Yeah, that's a little better. Yeah. So what's the subset of wild English? Well, um, it's basically English minus what I call the five stupidities. Yeah? Uh, it, what are those? Well, I, I, should, I should give you a, a little background, actually. Are, are you familiar? Have you ever done any computer programming? A little, yeah. Okay, well, then, but you're familiar with the fact that uh, computer languages have a structure and a syntax, and that determines what what they're good for. You know that if if you're a computer programmer, when you have a job to do, the first thing you do is get the you know the application specs, what it is they want you to do. Only after you know what the job is requiring do you pick a language to actually do it in, because the language depends largely on what you have to do. You know, so you pick your language specifically you know, to, to make your job right. easy. Well, the same is true of natural languages. Natural languages have structures also. It's just that they're incredibly complex. They've come down to us through a number of threads over literally tens of thousands of years. And uh, they carry a whole lot of unconscious, erroneous assumptions and dead ends and pointers that don't point anywhere and all sorts of stupid things. So a number of years ago, I began to be aware of that, and I thought, geez, wouldn't it be useful if somebody actually debugged English and, and yeah. created a, a sort of subset of it that's, that's used for clear thinking and accurate communication? I'm not trying to replace English with this. I see it as a complement to English that would be useful to be bilingual in a sense. You'd use regular English when you're out drinking with your friends or bowling or standing in line at the supermarket. But when you have a problem that needs to be attended to, when you're unhappy about something, or you know, then you switch over into earthling because actually trying to think in normal English is almost impossible. Uh-huh. So what are the five things you remove or are the basic problems you're trying to deal with? Well, um, I can explain it. I mean, they're, they're very simple. Uh, there's nothing in them that an eight-year-old can't understand. But, but right. I, I've gotten a little jaded. Over the years, I've been teaching this to adults. I've, tra I've trained a lot of people on this over the years. And, um, and I'd say over... I mean, it's only been a part-time thing. I, didn't, I never made my full living at, at doing this, but 
I've probably trained a couple thousand people over the years, and I would say maybe three or four of them actually got it, <laughs> actually actually showed the kind of results that I thought were what I was I was looking for. So the thing is, the problem is that understanding, knowing what the five stupidities are, is totally useless. It doesn't make one bit of difference. The, the real job is actually reprogramming your language machine so that these things are eliminated. And, and what in my experience has been that tell, and I will tell you, I'm not, I'm not playing games with you, I'll tell you what they are. But, but it's, it's, uh, like I say, understanding, uh, what these things are is not the point of it. The point of it is to actually reprogram the language machine. And, um, so before I, before I tell, do you have a few minutes? Because, I mean, it, it takes a few minutes to actually explain what they are. I can't, I can't do it in one minute, you know. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hang in here for five or ten minutes. Okay, all right, good. Well, then let me, let me start with a story, though, because this whole thing is about the nature of unconscious assumptions that are imposed on our thinking by the language we think in. And uh, so you may have heard this story before. If you have, you can stop me, but uh, I'll tell it to you anyway here. A man and his son were driving home from a soccer game one Saturday afternoon, and they were involved in a head-on collision and the father was killed instantly. The son was taken to a local emergency room in critical condition. The surgeon walked in, took one look at the kid, and said, I can't operate on him, that's my son. So, the question is, how does that story sit? Is that okay? Is there something wrong with that story, or what? Ah, yes, I have heard uh, that story. And I can't remember what the logical flaw is yeah. there, but it has something to do with assumptions in our relationships. Right. Well, and this is beautiful. In fact, many people, I've told this story really to many thousands of people. Nobody, nobody ever gets this the first time around. And many people admit to having heard it before and being stumped yet again by it. It's quite common. And the point here is that the reason there is an apparent paradox is not because there is any paradox at all in the situation, but because one of the words I used carried an unconscious assumption that was then imposed upon your analysis of the situation. And as long as that assumption remains in force and unconscious, it is impossible to solve this apparent problem, because in fact there is no problem, There's, it's only an apparent paradox. And, uh, and people come up with amazing uh, solutions, you know, instant reincarnation and step-parents and clones that had been raised in secret. And, you know, I mean, <laughs> just all sorts of interesting right, possibilities. Yeah. But the most obvious and most logical thinking in the world will solve the problem. People have two parents, one male, one female. Male dead, uh -huh. therefore, the surgeon is his... Mother. Mother, thank you. Okay, so you can see how obvious the logic, it's the most basic logic uh, there is. Right, and right. And that's unavailable to you because of an unconscious assumption that English has imposed upon your thinking. Okay? Now, that's a kind of a trivial right. example, really. I mean, in any real-life situation, that just wouldn't be a problem, probably, you know. But there are these other, what I call the five stupidities, which are... So obvious. I mean, and this is one of the problems I always had teaching adults is, is that it's so obvious. Everybody goes, well, yeah, duh, <laughs> you know. But then when you listen right. to them talk, you find they're violating all these things consistently, you know, and, and believing it. See, the other thing is that 
most people actually believe everything they hear their language machine say. In fact, they think that's who they are. That voice in their head is who they are. And whatever it says, they believe. But the problem is, in fact, I have no idea what I'm going to say next. There is not time for me to pick my words consciously and decide I want to use this word because it has this implication and not that one. You know, I open my mouth and this stuff just comes out. And so it's the same for everybody. It's, it's, the language is actually put together. What the heck was that? Did you just hear a big, loud beep? Oh, well, anyway. Well, it wasn't terribly loud. I heard the beep, though. Yeah, okay. You know, I think I know what it is. Okay. So, anyway, um, the point is that... Oh, you had a question. Go ahead. Well, no, I, I, I began to get an inkling, I think, of where, where you're going. Yeah. Um, but do you, think, do you think that the problem is, is soluble in terms of straightening out language in some way, there's syntax or structure or something, or is it a matter of making rooting out and making people more aware of how our language and our, our thought processes have incorporated so many things that we have absorbed from our culture, biases, prejudices, uh, yeah, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. And, and uh, I, so my question is separating, you know, kind of language as a, you know, English as a code, which you might think of as kind of neutral, or English as an embodiment of our culture, which has, yeah, you're right, all kinds of history yeah. and bias and stuff yeah. in there. Yeah. Well, it's not either or. In fact, one of the things you just, in, in essence, violated one of the, the stupidities, or not violated, is demonstrated. I sorry, I don't want to make it personal, but but the, one of the one of the stupidities is is dualism, and it's something everybody is fully aware of. Uh, well, right. not everybody, but the I, the tendency to divide any situation or the world itself into two mutually exclusive opposites that you have to choose between one or the other. And uh, that's simply not true most of the time. There are situations that do lend themselves to two-valued logic. I mean, you're either married or you're not married. There is no in-between, you know. I mean, somebody signs a piece of paper, at that moment they are married. Most of the the places where two-valued logic applies reasonably are human-made situations. The world itself experience itself is almost never divided into mutually exclusive opposites. And this is one of the things that that is sort of built in as a default value in English. People are always using either or to analyze situations, and that's usually uh, a very limited limited use in actually in any kind of real problem-solving situation. Uh, uh-huh. So, so this thing about uh, whether the language itself is doing it, or these are cultural assumptions, rush, you know, running side by side with the language, those are both true. You know, they're, they're 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 both elements that we have to deal with. But the stuff, the five stupidities that I'm talking about are things that are are like are you, you know what a default value is in a like in a database application. You know, like when you enter people in your address book, you may not have to type the state because most of the people you meet, well, in the past anyway, most of the people I met were from California, and my database was set up so that when I got to the state place, it just automatically added California, and that was almost always right. But occasionally it was wrong, and I'd have to backspace over it and put Arizona or something in there. 
Well, right. language has all these default values too. And in one of them, the most, the worst stupidity, the one that is responsible for the most suffering in the world, is also the most common word in English. Do you have an idea what that might be? Uh, no, I. No, you might as well let me know. I okay, save yeah, this a little yeah, time. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's the word the. T-H-E. Okay. It occurs right. about 6% of all printed text. And about 90% of those cases, if you really take a look at it and you're being picky, and this is all about being picky in the use of language because when we're in a problem-solving situation, there is no room for unconscious assumption. So this is picky. I'm being real picky about this. In right. most of the cases, the... Could, would have been better uh, replaced by a or an or left off entirely. There are there are an assumption that goes with the word the that we don't usually think about. But if I go tell you to go into the next room and get me the green chair, what's the assumption that yeah. underlies that statement? Uh, um, that the well. I don't know. I guess that uh, uh, there's one green chair or something like that. Well, the, not only that, there is only one green chair. Otherwise, I would have said get a green chair. Right. So if I say oh, get I a green see. chair, it automatically... I'm assuming they're up. ...that there's right. only one. The problem, and, and again, in, in cases of dealing with concrete nouns like table and shoe and car and all that, that's not really a problem. There, there's another problem in English, and it's called reification, and I'll get to that in a minute. But um, with words like answer and truth and um, theory and reason, those words do not, there's a default value for them. In fact, it's very difficult to even, check this out, I, say this out loud. What's an answer to that problem? And say it out loud. What's an answer to that problem? And now say, what's the answer to that problem? Yeah, what's the answer to that and, problem? And tell me how, right. it, how the two different, uh, how they differ in their feeling. My oh. sense is that what's an answer almost sticks in my throat. It's not the it's not the default value for the word answer. When the word answer is is pulled up in your language machine, it is automatically assigned the word the long before you think I about see. it. What's the yeah. answer? You assume there is one one yeah. best answer. Yes, if for you're looking if you're looking for the answer, you may find an answer. But if you're looking for the answer, uh -huh. you're likely to mistake an answer for the answer, and then you no longer have to look for anything else. So you, what you find often is the most stereotypical, obvious answer, which may be perfectly serviceable. But if you'd looked for a little bit longer, you might have found five more answers, and out of those, you might have been able to synthesize something very interesting. But the word the uh -huh. cuts it off right there. I found the answer. And how many times have you heard people say, that's the way it is? Well, that's simply sure. not true. Right. It's merely a way of thinking about it. There's no such thing as the way it is. That's insane. And yet people say that, and other people don't laugh at them when they say that. They're sort of swept along right. with it. So the word the, I won't, I'm not going to belabor this one, but this one occurs. Most humans generate between 50,000 and 300,000 words a day in their language machine. Mostly, of course, sub-vocalized. 
And if 6% of them are the, even at the low figure of 50,000, that's 3,000 thes a day, 90% of which are artificially limiting the situation and giving us this sense of security that now I have the answer, this is the reason it happened, and so on and so forth. And all of that is illusory. It's just a, it's a way of thinking that, that makes us feel confident, but in fact is, a, is false to facts. So, so the word the is extremely dangerous, and, and one nice way to observe that is to listen to politicians you don't like. <laughs> and, and just well, I was just thinking of that. Yeah, or, or marketing. I mean, marketing thrives on the word the. We have the answer to your problem. Well, isn't, isn't the word the used to almost as, as a tool of persuasion to convince oh, yeah, you that yeah, there is yeah. one answer and right, that the... Yeah. Presenter, of course, the uh, problem is, is is that yes, it's used by else. others, but the problem is your own language machine is generating this because that's the default value, and most people, most of the time, are not actively questioning the structure of their own thought. They are really sort of swept along by it, unless they've taken the time to reprogram it, which is difficult for an adult. Anyway, and the other huh. four, so, so the is the big one. And then the other four are basically a dualism, absolutism, reification, and identity. And I already said, mentioned dualism, uh, imposing a two-valued logic on a situation that actually is infinite-valued. Uh, right. Absolutism is another simple, obvious one. Words like all, never, always, uh, no, you know, th- these kinds of things. Uh, imply, I mean, and this is a tri- not a trivial one, but it, it's, it seems picky, and yet, again, in a situation where you really need to do serious thinking, I assert there is no room for unconscious, erroneous assumptions. You know, that if we can find them, we would be better off to become conscious of the assumptions we're operating on. Um, so absolutism, dualism, reification is. Uh, well, let me ask you. Do you know you know what a noun is? What is a noun? Uh, well, it's a uh, a person, place, or thing, an object. Okay, that's the way I was taught too. Person, yeah. place, or thing. It was those three right. words. That yeah, was the so way I was taught in school. Think I, I think I'm quoting. Uh, yeah, qu- I think I'm quoting the grammar book. Yeah, uh, yeah, very well. Uh, hold on, my, I realize what the noise is, and um, I'm going to try and stop it. No, I can't. Okay, um, anyway, uh, it, it turns out that there are a whole class of nouns that are not persons, places, or things at all. Words like love, dignity, happiness, freedom, democracy, religion, independence, happiness, all of those things, oh, in fact, they're not things. There's no such thing as love. A thing is something you can put in a bucket, even if it's a very large bucket. You can put a galaxy in a bucket if you had a big enough bucket. But love cannot be put in a bucket. If we have an argument about a particular stick that I have, we can go to that stick and we can resolve the argument. We can... uh, measure it, we can weigh it, we can uh, do an analysis of its chemical nature, we can do all sorts of things to try and solve any disagreement about the nature of this stick. But if we have a disagreement about money or dignity or love, there is no place 
to, there is no such thing that has properties that can be measured. It's love, for instance, right. is a is a word for a relationship between things, but it's not in the same domain of reality. It doesn't have the same the technical term is ontological status as a taco, you know. Uh, but the noun structure of English fails to uh, to make that clear, and so what happens is we end up. Uh, I don't know how much you've ever studied math, but there are things in math called propositional functions, and they're distinguished from a proposition. X plus 7 equals n. Is that true or false? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not true or false, is it? Give me just a minute. Um, i got a phone call I've been waiting for. I need to hang on to this. Hold on. All right. Okay, you still there? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, um, reification. Uh, propositional functions. X plus 7 equals 10 is not true or false. It's merely ambiguous. It's undefined. Until the X is assigned a specific value, uh, it's a propositional function. And it cannot have any truth value. And what, what these reifications amount to are X's that, that, that basically are meaningless, although there's a lot of emotional baggage that's attached to these sounds. Any statement right. about democracy is, in fact, a propositional function. Until you s- define specifically what you mean by democracy in this case, there is no such thing as democracy that can even be talked about. Generally uh-huh. speaking, in a, in a, again, in a rigorous situation where you're trying to actually solve a problem as opposed to do propaganda, which is a different use of language. Um, but in, in problem-solving situations, the failure to understand the distinction between concrete nouns and abstract nouns leads to just endless talk about talk about talk about talk. Listen to any college philosophical debate or any political debate or any, you know, it, they just end up talking about these words and, and, and they use them in, in trying to manipulate people's emotions, but there's actually no information content in these utterances. Although, again, we have a lot of emotional baggage tied to a lot of these words, so we respond Right. The familiar sounds in an emotional way, but they carry no uh, information. So reification is the uh, last one, or the, the the fourth of the five. And the final one is the concept of identity, which actually is a real sticky issue for uh, for adults because it has all sorts of implications <laughs> in a number of psychological areas. But for young right. people, it's simply eliminating the verb to be from earthling. Earthling does not have the verb to be. So you cannot say what something or someone is. You can only say what it does. Or you can say what it's called. You can say, I call this an elm tree. But what it is, well, we don't even, uh, that's, that's a whole different thing <laughs> that needs to be approached from a different way because knowing what something is is really only knowing what it's called. So, so uh-huh. basically, uh-huh. English is eliminating, we're eliminating uh, the verb to be from, from earthling. And those are the five stupidities. Uh, identity, dualism, right. absolutism, reification, and the word the. Okay, so... Yeah, I've got to bug out of here in about four or five minutes. Uh, so your proposal about fixing that is what? 
Well, like I say, I've been teaching this to adults for years, and, and basically it's it's been entertaining. You know, everybody laughs at the jokes and goes ooh at the right places, and they all understand that it's important, and they agree that it's important, but it doesn't make one bit of difference to most people. So it's become clear to me that if we're going to save the planet from the homo sapiens, we have to raise a new generation of, of children before the age of puberty who understand all this stuff. And there's nothing here that a, a child of 8 or 10 couldn't understand easily. And they simply would grow up unburdened by these errors and, and unconscious assumptions that, that you and I have been brain damaged by. Uh, and they would be capable of thinking on a level that probably uh, has never been attained. Well, I mean, individuals have done this in the past, you know. But uh, imagine a planet full of people who simply were not burdened by these errors in thinking when they needed to do some thinking or negotiating. Well, just let me ask you this. Do you think that, I mean, my first thought is because most of us have already been programmed the way you're talking about. Yeah. Is, uh, and I really, so much habit and so much time, I don't know how we would ever get people up to, to kind of use language in a different way. Uh, my, my first thought is just being aware of and helping people be more aware of those habits and spot them and see if they can think around them yeah. uh, when, they, when they see them occurring. Uh, and, you know, maybe starting with children where you could uh, explain it, uh, where you, you could probably teach those flaws and greater awareness and, and thinking around them, you know, from the get-go yeah. uh, and have, have more success than most of the rest of us, which would really be having to catch our flaws as we yeah. go along. Yeah, it, it's, it's certainly possible for an adult to reprogram their language machine. I've done it to a large extent, but I'm not immune to these things. The thing is, I catch them very early. I mean, I used to go, I mean, right. in, my, in my youth, I mean, I could be months and months stuck in a story. You know, that right. story of somebody wronging me or the difficulty I was having or whatever, that story became the way it is for me. And um, uh -huh. But now what happens is I don't go more than a couple of seconds usually. The minute I begin to feel a little unhappy or weird about something or other, rather than looking out into the world for the source of the, of the negativity, I begin listening to my language machine. And I inevitably find it just clogged with all these stupidities. And, of course, at that moment, the whole thing just dissolves. So uh, it, it really gets down to breaking the identity with the language machine. It's a fundamental shift that, that I suggest actually creates a new species, that, that a human being who is not identified with his language machine, although he can impregnate other human beings, <laughs> uh, right, that's right. not so important. as the, the, the way the language functions is more important than the genetic inheritance. The linguistic inheritance is what's controlling the planet now. And uh, huh. and I think that people who are not identified with their language machine, who are able to listen to it and evaluate it and know the difference between their analysis of the situation and the way it is, are capable of negotiating uh -huh. and, and creating a planet that actually works. It's impossible for two people to negotiate if both of them think they know the way it is. I mean, they, they pretend right. Right. to be negotiating, but they're not. Uh -huh. Because they know that they're right, and that their right. situation is the way it is, and the air people may be well-intentioned, but they're misguided. <laughs> right. 
Okay, well, I, I, I got to go. It's been interesting talking to you. Uh, I, I'm going to reflect on myself a little bit more, and uh, I, I wish you luck. Well, thanks, David. Listen, I'm here a lot. I, okay. I, I run Skype okay. on and off, day and night, because I work at my computer oh. mostly, and I usually have a Skype cast running. So my green right. leaf okay. icon is there. I have a lot of different topics, but they're all are mostly okay. related to language and stuff. So come back sometime if you want to talk some Okay. More. All right. Well, I'll, uh, when I'm cruising back through looking for something, I'll see if you're on. Okay. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.